the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Chalcedon Report Number 1 In this first newsletter, instead of a report on activity, I want to discuss the significance of what you, my supporters, are doing. Most of us know the Renaissance as a period of great art, promoted and sponsored by wealthy patrons who were the kings, dictators, and rulers of that era. That art was the beautiful icing on the Renaissance era. The heart of it lay elsewhere. For centuries, the church had been the major patron of arts and letters, and a Christian culture had flourished. Emperors and kings very early began to subsidize contemporary thinking with this view. There were clearly religious and philosophical trends pointing towards humanism and statism, but it was the heavy, steady, and long promotion of these things by subsidy that was responsible for the rapid spread and victory of these forces. Europe has been steadily conquered by a rapacious and brutal statism. The Renaissance was a period of showy art, but behind that facade it was an era of brutal terror, an era that brought monstrous men to power, some of whom made the Borgias look pale by comparison. Our age is seeing a similar development. The major and minor foundations have been extensively captured by the forces of humanism and statism and a new age of terror is developing all around us. Scholarship, arts, and literature are being subsidized to serve the purposes of humanism and statism, and our schools and colleges have been largely captured by these forces, as have been most publishers and periodicals. This movement has been a long time in developing. It cannot be defeated overnight. It cannot be defeated by short-sighted people who want victory today or tomorrow and are unwilling to support long-term battle. The future must be won, and shall be won, by a renewal and development of our historic Christian liberty, by an emphasis on the fact the basic government is the self-government of the Christian man, and by a recognition that an informed faith is the mainspring of victory. History has never been dominated by majorities, but only by dedicated minorities who stand unconditionally on their faith. What you are doing in your support of me is to sponsor a countermeasure to the prevailing trend, to promote by your support, interest, and study a Christian renaissance, to declare by these measures your belief that the answer to humanism and its statism is Christian faith and liberty. Our choice today is between two claimants, to the throne of godhood and universal government. The state 
which claims to be our shepherd, keeper, and savior, and the Holy Trinity, our only God and Savior. You have made your choice by both faith and action. Chalcedon Report Number 2 During this past month, in the course of my travels, I spent several hours visiting with an outstanding conservative leader, a man who is a major force in one of our most notable anti-communist organizations. In the first few minutes, he raised the question, quote, Do you see any hope? Unquote. Many asked the same question. I am reminded of the question asked by Adoniram Judson, 1788-1850, through 1850, pioneer American Baptist missionary in Burma. Hostile forces soon succeeded in destroying Judson's mission, his converts, printing press, and his possessions. Judson himself was thrown into a filthy Burmese prison and with arrogant humor asked by a captor, quote, How are your prospects now? Unquote. Quote, as bright as the promises of God, unquote, responded Judson, who lived to see those promises fulfilled in the success of his mission. Our prospects are also as bright. If our confidence is in the same omnipotent God, the revolution of our day rests on certain anti-Christian premises. First, it is held that anything goes because there is no God. No God means no law, and no law means that nothing is a crime, and hence all acts are equally valid. Second, by, quote, outlawing, unquote, God and declaring him to be non-existent, the revolutionaries outlaw the idea of good and evil. They are supposedly beyond good and evil. If good is mythical, then evil is also, and man cannot be evil. Therefore, whatever the world planners do cannot be evil, because evil does not exist. It is simply either a successful scientific experiment, or it is a failure. Third, because God is abolished as a myth, the approach to man's problems must be scientific, that is, experimental, and man is thus the prime laboratory test animal. In school, your children are to be objects of experimentation, even as you are also by means of every communication media. There is no evil in such experimentation, since there is no God, but only success or failure. Fourth, every experiment to be valid requires total control of all factors, Hence, the scientific society must be totalitarian to the full measure, or it will not work. The various phases of this vast attempt to turn the world from God's creation to the scientific planner's recreation can be documented in detail. It has been done by the volume. The answer, however, is not in facts and knowledge, but in a restoration of Christian faith. Because God is God... And because he will not allow himself to be dethroned, the scientific planners are doomed. This judgment is a certainty because God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. All sin is either atoned for or punished. The question is whether we will be among those judged or among those, the saved remnant, who shall undertake even now the task of reconstruction. Chalcedon Report Number 4 Recently, a very fine man who should know better sent me a statement containing his answer to the rising tide of evil. 
Quote, Let's pray about it. Unquote. I believe that such statements are blasphemous. We are commanded in Scripture to pray, but prayer can never be a substitute for responsibility. If, for example, we refuse to work and then we pray to God for food for our family, we are doubly guilty before God, guilty of improvidence and of blasphemy. How then shall we deal with the problem of evil? Only God can change the heart of the wicked. We need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and His salvation and to pray for the conversion of the unregenerate. Prayer here, if coupled with Christian efforts, is not only proper, but absolutely necessary. But while only God can convert the wicked, men have the power to control the wicked. And the means of control is a strict sense of law and order of justice. But today, the sentimentalism that parades as Christianity, instead of seeking to control and to convert the evil, seeks instead to love it and subsidize it. The result is a destruction of civilization and harm to both the godly members of society as well as to the wicked who caused the destruction. I was interested recently in rereading a passage in a book I first read in 1957 and which was written a few years earlier. Felice Belioti, in the study of Fabulous Congo, wrote on page 189, Like all primitives, the Negro only recognizes force, and the result of a policy of gradual concession of rights is easy to foresee. As soon as he realizes clearly that no one can hang him or kill him out of hand, and that the white men are incapable of casting the evil eye on him, there will be no holding him back. He has no conscience, no Western code of ethics to guide him in his actions, and when his heart is really free of physical punishment, he will become a hopelessly intractable rebel. The Congo is a shambles today, and the major victims are the Negroes, not because there are more evil men today, but because good men have surrendered control. Another illustration in the 1830s, American ships began to suffer savagely at the hands of Malay pirates. One incident is especially memorable. Captain, quote, Josh, unquote, Stevens and his bark, Aurora, from Booth Bay, Maine, were becalmed and unable to sail away from the vicinity of an island. The Malay pirates attacked repeatedly, knowing the ship to be undermanned, and finally all but four men were killed. These four men, all wounded, escaped in the longboat, led by the second mate, Avery. Their only supply was a small store of water and dry biscuits. They could have rowed to a friendly island 500 miles away. They chose instead to make for the Pole Star. From Rockport, Maine, under Captain, quote, Hen, unquote, Crosley, a hundred miles away, and no doubt be calmed like themselves. With only the briefest pauses, never wasting breath for speaking, the men rowed night and day until they reached the pole star. Captain Crossley immediately sent men by longboat to Captain Edwards of the Emerald of New Bedford and Captain Nye of the Southern Cross sent 15 men and the Emerald 10 men to give a total of over 50 with extra weapons also loaned. The Pole Star sailed to Parang, where Crossley, pretending that his ship was disabled, began, quote, repairs, unquote, 
keeping most of his men hidden and his weapons concealed. The Malay pirates poured out in great numbers, happy to have another Yankee ship to loot. The climax is dramatically recounted by A. Hyatt Verrill in Perfumes and Spices, including an account of soaps and cosmetics, page 4F. Onward came the Malays. Once again, a helpless vessel was at their mercy. Once more, they felt sure they could satiate their lust for white men's blood and white men's rum, and confident of victory, they dashed alongside the pole star, leaped from their proas with savage yells, and swarmed up the ship's sides. Not until the natives' heads appeared above the rails did Captain Crossley give the word to his impatient men. Then, with lusty shouts and curses, the fifty-three whale men sprang up, with blazing muskets and pistols with deadly spades and heavy lances, they and the merchant seamen fell upon the utterly astounded Malays. Turban heads were sliced from the shoulders by the blubber spades. Heavy lances were plunged through naked bodies by arms that had driven the weapons to the hearts of sperm wells. Broad axes cut through limbs and skulls, and shot and bullets mowed down scores of the savages. Not a Malay lived to set foot upon the pole star's decks. Not one who had attempted to board the ship remain uninjured to drop back to the proas. Dozens terrified, utterly demoralized, thinking only to escape the fearsome weapons and demoniacal fury of the white men, flung themselves into the sea, where they were instantly torn to pieces by the ravenous sharks, attracted to the scene by the blood that flowed in crimson streams from the ship's scuppers. And when the occupants of the last two proas saw the awful carnage, and heard the terror-stricken yells of their fellows, and hastily tried to turn back, Captain Hen trained his single cast-iron cannon upon them and sent a deadly hell of nails, bolts, screws, links of chain, and other junk into them with terrible effectiveness. Not a single Malay ever reached the shore alive. Within ten minutes the battle was over. Without the loss of a man, the Yankees had completely annihilated the natives and had exacted a terrible vengeance for the murder of Captain Stevens and his crew. As the yards were swung, and the pole star headed to the open sea, Captain Crossley gazed with grim satisfaction upon the carnage he had wrought. Spitting reflectively to leeward, he glanced at the receding bulk of Parang, at the drifting, shattered, corpse-filled proas, at the sharp black fins cutting the surface of the blood-stained water. Quote, I calculate that's what you might call a good deed well done, unquote. he remarked to Mr. Avery. Quote, Durned if I didn't say I'd learned him a lesson, and by glory I reckon I'd done so, unquote. He had. For years thereafter, no Yankee ship was ever again attacked by the natives of Parang. The mere sight of a weather-beaten, lofty-sparred ship would send them in terror to their jungle lairs, and for generations the islanders spoke in awed tones of the white devils who had avenged their slain countrymen. There was no lack of evil in past years, but there was also no lack of control over evil. Delinquency, crime, and evil were major problems in the 19th century America, but the controlling forces were also vigilant. Today, the rapid growth of crime and subversion is basically a problem of the removal of controls. 
Crime in the U.S. has risen 58% since 1958 and is increasing six times faster than the population. Significantly, in 1964, there was a deliberate assault on one out of every ten U.S. policemen, and 57 policemen were murdered. Even more significantly, 15% of the population are in the age 10 through 17 group. But this element of the population was responsible for 43% of all crimes against property in 1964. But this is the age group which should be almost the most easily controlled in a country if there is any sense of discipline. Our problem is thus not evil as much as it is the lack of control over evil by the forces of righteousness. On the one hand, we have vast portions of, quote, good, unquote, America talking about, quote, love, unquote, which amounts in practice to a tolerance of and a subsidy for evil. And, on the other hand, we have other portions of, quote, good, unquote, America whose answer to the problem is, quote, let's pray about it, unquote. Because God is a righteous God, there is every reason to believe that such talk on both sides only angers him and invokes his judgment. A quick glance at the current scene easily reveals the causes of our crisis. The following item is important with respect to the Watts, quote, riots, unquote. A few Mexican-American, quote, direct action, unquote, advocates are already saying that the way to get attention and millions of dollars of aid is to start a riot. So far, this feeling is only in the grim-faced, grumbling state. However, if all of the anti-poverty money starts flowing to Watts, another hot spell can mean trouble on the East Side. Joyce Peterson, quote, start a riot, get $29 million aid, unquote, reprinted in Los Angeles, California, Jewish Press, Friday, September 10, 1965, pages 1 and 5. We have two powerful forces at work to destroy law and order. First, we have subversives who are working to destroy America by destroying its legal and moral structure. Second, and even more important, we have the vast majority of, quote, good, unquote, Americans, who by indulging in sentimental and unrealistic fancies, refuse to exercise the hard and necessary control over evil. And thus control must begin in the personal life, in the family, and it must be rigorously applied to every aspect of American life. This is not a merciless attitude. True mercy can only flourish where justice prevails, whereas in the words of Solomon, quote, the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel, unquote, Proverbs 12:10. These, quote, tender mercies of the wicked, unquote, are today cruelly destroying the fabric of American life. We have always had evil in the world. We always will have it. The problem lies elsewhere. Will it be controlled? Will godly men meet their responsibility to, quote, occupy, unquote, in Christ's name and enforce God's law in every area? The world will either be under God's law or under His judgment. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction is John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus.
It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he had shown us by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree where he died for you and me. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. 
May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.